Please be seated. Let's pray again as we come to look at this passage of Scripture. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, it is our desire that your Spirit, who caused these things to be written long ago, words from the Lord Jesus to his people, might come and speak into our own hearts this night with what you want us to hear and give us ears to hear and hearts that are quick to respond even as we have been singing. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this evening we come to these words of the risen Lord Jesus through the Apostle John to the church at Sardis. Sardis, like the other six cities addressed in these letters, is in what is now Western <laughs> Turkey. And it was in the middle of the Hermas Valley. At the foot of a mountain, it seems almost Welsh because it's got consonants with no vowel in them, <laughs> at the foot of Mount Tomorrow, which at this point had a kind of spur which pointed out into the valley and the city was situated on top of this spur with high cliffs on three sides of the city. And the city was proud of its great history. It had been capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia, a kingdom over which Croesus had been the king. And a stream running down that valley washed gold out of Mount Timolus. And uh, it's said even that the river ran a golden colour. And there would be people panning for gold and sometimes even picking up nuggets of gold. And this made the city extremely rich and the king of that city too. And even today, you may have heard people use the phrase as rich as Croesus. Well, that's who he was, king of this city, this rich and wealthy city. They were proud of their history. But it was just that, history. They'd been proud of the way their city sat on top of these cliffs. And they thought it was impregnable, that nobody could capture it. But on two occasions, because of their carelessness and presumption, the city had been captured. The soldiers of Cyrus the Great, first of all, had climbed up the cliffs, scaled them when nobody was keeping watch, and had defeated the city. And later, Alexander the Great had also captured the city, and the great kingdom of Lydia was no more. Furthermore, in the year 17 AD, perhaps in the living memory of some of the very oldest of those hearing this letter, or if not in their living memory, 
in the memory of their parents or grandparents, and they told them the tales of how in 17 AD there had been a devastating earthquake that had ruined that historic city, and it had had to be then rebuilt. And it's to the Christians living in that city that John sends this message from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his verdict on the church in Sardis. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know at what time I will come to you. The one who dresses these words to the Christians there in Sardis is the Lord Jesus, their Lord, the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This phrase, the seven spirits of God, is a picture of the fullness of God's spirit. And Jesus is saying, I possess the Spirit of God in all its fullness. I am the Lord, I hold all power in heaven and on earth. And he says, I hold the seven stars. These stars are a bit mysterious, but they seem in some way to be a representation of the church. And Jesus says, I hold you in my hand also. I have all power in heaven and on earth in order that that power might be exercised in and through you for the blessing of the world in which you live. I have chosen you that you might be my people through whom I bring blessing to all. And you've got a great reputation. but it's a reputation of what you've been in the past. You've a reputation of being a lively church, an active church, but now you are dead. Watch out, says Jesus, otherwise I will come to you and I will bring judgment. If you're not watchful over your own spiritual lives, then I will come in judgment. Just as the city on two occasions had not been watchful over their defences and had been taken captive, so Jesus says, I will come. Learn from your past as a city of which you're proud. Learn from that and be watchful. In what way had the church 
in Sardis fallen asleep. We're not really told in detail, but I think it amounts to this. They had failed to remember the task to which Christ had called them. They'd lost sight of their mission as those who belonged to the Lord Jesus, whose purpose was to make disciples of every nation on earth. They'd lost sight of that. They'd become complacent. Christ had called them to challenge the false gods of the society in which they lived. The gods of pleasure, sexual immorality, money and power that were common in the society of their day. Jesus had called them to challenge that. To challenge those who were pursuing things that could never satisfy. I don't know whether any of you are watching Vanity Fair at the moment. But that was Thackeray's um, his um, a play or his book rather that makes fun of the way the society of his day were pursuing things of no value. And he uses the term Vanity Fair from Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress of the character of this world. Well, society was like that in those days. And the church at Sardis had been called to challenge that and to tell people the good news about the Lord Jesus who could liberate them from all those things that would hold them captive, who would give them life, life in all its fullness and joy that no one could imagine. He called them to, to tell their society of these things. But instead... They're resting on their reputation of what they have been. There's a number of different ways churches can relate to the society around them. They can simply become like the society around them and lose the ability to be salt and light. Or they can decide to hide away from society around them to put up the walls and become a little citadel that tries to protect themselves and forgets, forget their mission. Or they can become those who are so filled with the spirit of the risen Christ that they want to make him known to others. This church had forgotten their mission, no longer willing to rock the boat and make waves in their own society. And moving from Sardis in the 1st century to the 21st century, there's a great danger when churches today live on their past reputation. Thinking that their reputation for fine work down the years means they will continue to prosper and be blessed. Look around at the landscape of our country. You'll see church buildings and chapels 
in so many towns and streets and in the rural areas and many of them are just memorials to history. They remind us of times past, but they're empty today, or used as houses, or as workshops. Look at Wales, with the many chapels and churches that bear witness to the way the Spirit of God moved in power, in revival in years past. What a wonderful history that is. And so many of them empty today, or just three or four people now meeting in them, and then largely elderly. The church throughout this land has a noble history. It was at the forefront of providing care for the sick, the foundation of hospitals and hospices, it was at the forefront of providing education for all. That started in the churches. And schools were founded. And universities with Christian foundations. It was the churches that led in campaigning for the end of slavery and child labour, for the reform of prisons, and so many other things. The church in this land shaped society in history and created the humane and caring society we have today. It's a history we can be proud of. But what is the church doing today? Is the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and the testimony to the risen Saviour shaping contemporary society. Is our nation still being moulded by the call of God in the Gospel? Or will the churches in days to come remain a monument to a glorious past? What reputation does the church have today? Ask people in the street. Don't say ask our newspapers. They like to look on the bad, worst side. But ask people in the street what they think of the church today. And what about ourselves at Christ Church? We're about to start a new chapter in the history of Christ Church down in. The community around us has watched what has been going on. They've seen the barriers going up on the main road and down here. They've wondered what is happening. They've seen pictures and articles in Down End Voice. And I hope that in three weeks' time, they'll be flocking in to see the building in all its glory, to see what it is like. But of course the building is not the church, is it? We are the church. And what are they going to see in us? Are we going to be a people that impacts the society in which we live? 
What impression are we going to make on Downhead and its people? Christ will continue to build his church. Even the gates of hell can't prevail against it. But the question is, will we be used in that building work? Or will he pass us by to use others as he threatens with the church in Sardis? We need to be wide awake, don't we? I remember when our children were small. They used to love watching on Saturday morning early the Wide Awake Club. <laughs> Some of you may remember. No idea what happened to T Timmy Mallet, but that's another matter. But uh, they used to love watching the Wide Awake Club. And we Christians need to be members of the Wide Awake Club. Wide awake to the call of Christ and all he asks us to be. I don't want to end on a negative note, so I want you to look with me in closing. Look at the promise Christ gives, even to this church that is nearly dead. Verses 4 to 6. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a wonderful promise the risen Saviour has for those who sincerely follow him, who listen to his voice, whose lives are being shaped by the call of Christ upon them and by his spirit, whose lives already glow with something of the presence of the Saviour. And he promises them that they will glow with the complete presence of the Saviour when he takes them to be with him in glory. He says to them, you acknowledge me before others. You live for me before others. And I will acknowledge you before the Father. I'll say, these are mine. And I was reminded, as I read these words, of um, some verses that Nigel shared in our home group a week or so ago. From the end of the book of Malachi, or near the end. Malachi is also a book of God's judgment on his people. But near the end are these words. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. They'll be my treasure possession, my jewels, the authorised version has it. What a wonderful thing to be treasured by Christ because we are those who sought to listen to his voice and live for him. Those whom he will own in eternity as his own. It's a marvellous promise.
from a marvellous Lord who calls us to listen to his voice, to follow him, and to have an effect upon the world in which we live. May God make us such a people that there may be, may be more to us than the reputation of what we once were. For his name's sake.